I have never been moved or particularly impressed by the writing of Saul Bellow, which is an admission that I know might be the literary equivalent of talking about Putin rearing his head into the Alaskan airspace. Or whatever, maybe it's just a case of accounting for taste. In any event, I found myself recently at a hotel bar with a magazine article featuring Bellow's letters to other writers and was just knocked off my seat, which I hope was out of my impressions for this writing and not because of, let's just say the night went south from there, but I thought I would give Bellow another try and bring you along just for kicks. Good evening. It's Thursday, the 29th of April, 2010, and it's Miet's Bedtime Story Podcast. Sono and Mosso by Saul Bellow Writing to everyone, Herzog addressed a letter to his friend Sono, who had gone back to Japan. How long ago was that? He turned his eyes up as he tried to calculate the length of time, and he saw great white rolls of cloud above Wall Street and the harbour. I don't blame you for leaving New York, going back to Tokyo. Leading a private life in the Orient, a person of means. Little Sono has a house in the country which is built over a hot spring. She had shown Herzog coloured Japanese photos. He remembered a picture of her rabbits, her hens, the piglets, the blind man who came to give her a massage. She loved massages and believed in them. She had often massaged Moses and he had massaged her. You were right about Juliana, Sono. I shouldn't have married her. I should have married you. The bitch has made my life horrible. Sono saw Juliana only once, but that was sufficient, and she warned me in pigeon French as I sat in her broken Morris chair. Méfie-toi, mozzo. C'est une garce. Sono was a tender-hearted woman, and Herzog knew that if he wrote to her for the sadness of his life that she would certainly cry for him. The tears had a way of appearing in her black eyes without the usual western preliminaries. Those eyes rose from the surface of her cheeks in the same way that her breasts rose from the surface of her body. Herzog allowed himself to picture her as she might be now, bathing in her steaming spring, her small mouth open, singing. She bathed often, and when she washed herself she sang, her eyes upcast and her lips dainty and tremulous. During the troubled time when he was being divorced from Daisy and he came to visit Sono, she would immediately run the little tub in her west side apartment and fill it with Macy's bath salts. She unbuttoned Moses's shirt, undressed him, 
and when she had settled him in the foaming perfumed water, she took off her petticoat and got into the bath behind him, singing that vertical music of hers. Chin chin, jolt a love la do. As a young girl, Sono had gone to live in Paris, and she was caught there by the war. She was down with pneumonia when the American troops entered and was still sick when she was repatriated via the Trans-Siberian Railroad. She no longer cared for Japan, she said. The West had spoiled her for Japanese life and her rich father allowed her to study design in New York. She told Herzog that she was not sure she believed in God, but that if he did, she would try also to have faith. If, on the other hand, he was a communist, she was prepared to become one too. Because les Japonaises sont très fidèles and ne sont pas comme les Américaines. Bah! She often entertained the Baptist ladies who were her sponsors with the immigration department. She prepared shrimp or raw fish for them or treated them to the tea ceremony. Moses sometimes waited on the stoop of the brownstone opposite when the ladies were slow to leave. Sonno, with great enjoyment, she deeply loved intrigue, would come to the window and give the high sign, pretending to water her plants. She kept a little ginkgo tree growing in a yogurt container. On the west side, she occupied three rooms with high ceilings. At the back, there grew an alanthus tree and one of the front windows contained a large air conditioner. Fourteenth Street bargains filled the apartment. An overstuffed Chesterfield, bronze screens, lamps, nylon draperies, masses of wax flowers, articles of wrought iron and twisted wire and glass. Sonna went back and forth busily on bare feet, coming down on her heels sturdily. Her body was covered unbecomingly, and knee-length bargain negligees bought on the stands near 7th Avenue. Every purchase involved her in a battle with the other bargain hunters. Excitedly holding her soft throat, she would tell Herzog with sharp cries what had happened. Cherie, j'avais déjà choisi mon tablier. Cette femme s'est foncée sur moi. Ouh, elle était noire. Mon Dieu, et grande. Derrière, immense. Immense poitrine. Et son soutien-gorge. Tout à fait comme Niagara Falls. En chair noire. Sonna puffed out her cheeks and crooked her arms as though suffocating with fat, sticking out her belly, thrusting back her rump. Je disais, no, no, lady, I hear first. Elle avait les bras comme ça, enflés. Et quelle gorge! Il y avait du monde au balcon. Non, je disais. Proudly, Sonno put a hand to her hip. She showed her nostrils and made her eyes heavy. Herzog, in the broken Morris chair from the Catholic salvage, said, that's the stuff, Sonno. 
They can't push the samurai around on 14th Street. He had touched Sono's soft, complex eyelids experimentally. They would keep the imprint of a touch for a long time. To tell the truth, Sono, he wrote, I never had it so good. Unfortunately, I lacked the strength of character to enjoy this pleasant life. I was guilty of low seriousness. Often enough, I must have looked morose as I sat there. What was I brooding about? The fate of Western man? No wonder she thought I might be a communist. But she liked even that. She saw me with the eyes of love, and she said, Ah, c'est mélancolique, c'est très beau. It may be that my sad and guilty thoughts made me look oriental. What people used to call the Chinese gleep, a morose eye without lustre and a long, dull upper lip. Perhaps that heaviness of mine filled a need in Sono's life. She should have thrown me out of the house. All the world loves a lover, but hates a theoretician. Her three tall rooms in the brownstone apartment were hung with transparent bargain curtains, like the Orient in the movies. There were many interiors, the innermost the bed with sheets of spearmint green or washed-out chlorophyll. Everything in disorder. After the bath, she dried and powdered Herzog and dressed him in a kimono. Her pleased but still slightly unwilling Caucasian doll. The stiff cloth cramped him under the arms as he sat on the pillows. She brought him tea in her best cups. He listened to her talk. She would tell him the latest scandals in the Tokyo press. A woman had mutilated her unfaithful lover and was found with the missing part in her obi. A locomotive engineer slept through a signal and killed 154 people. Her father's concubine was now driving a Volkswagen. She came to the gate of the house, but not into the yard and Herzog thought, as if anyone cared what he was doing there, as if it affected the fate of the world, his being in this bed. Sonu spiked his tea with brandy or scotch whisky. Then she brought out her scrolls. Fat merchants made love to slender girls who looked away comically as they submitted. Moses and Sonu sat cross-legged on the bed, and she explained the drawings to him. Something was always frying or brewing in her kitchen, a dark closet rank with fish and soy sauce and ajinomoto. The plumbing was often out of order. She wanted him to complain to the Negro janitor. The pan used by the cats was never clean. When Herzog was in the subway on his way to her apartment, he already began to smell those odours. Their darkness passed through his heart. 
He violently desired Sono, and just as violently did not want to go. Even now he felt the difficulty, remembered his fever, those odours. He shivered when he rang her bell, and when she opened the door and threw her arms about his neck, she always cried the same thing. Je viens de rentrer. She was breathless. She had run to meet him and beat him home by seconds. Why? Why did she always have to be just under the wire? Perhaps to show that she had an independent and active life without him and didn't have to sit waiting. The great door admitted him, and Sonno fastened it with bolts and chains, precautions of a woman living alone but she said the super had walked in without knocking once or twice. Herzog, with a beating heart but composed face, entered, looking around with pale-faced dignity, smiled at eager Sonno, and sat down. She took off his miserable shoes, telling him where she had been. Some lovely Christian science ladies had invited her to a concert at the Cloisters. She had seen a double feature with Danielle Darieux, Simone Signoret, Jean Gabin and Harry Bowau. The Nippon America Friendship Society invited her to the United Nations Building, where she met the President, the Secretary of State, Arani, a Shah, the ex-King of Egypt, and she was going to a nightclub later with the foreign minister of Venezuela. Moses had learned not to doubt her. She always produced a presidential autograph or a nightclub photo. She never asked Herzog to take her to the Copacabana. This was a mark of her respect for his deep seriousness. C'est un philosophe. Oh, mon philosophe, mon professeur d'amour, c'est très important, je sais. She rated him higher than kings and presidents. As she put on the kettle for Herzog's tea, she never failed to describe the events of a day from the kitchen at the top of her voice. She saw a three-legged dog who made a truck swerve into a pushcart. A cab driver wanted to give her a parrot. A policeman threatened her with a ticket for jaywalking. A man had exposed himself behind a subway pillar. Oh, c'était honteuse. Quelle chose. She measured with her hands from her own body. One foot's très laid. Then she said, Et sept blows, combien j'ai payé? Dix? You paid three dollars. No, she cried. Sixty cents. Sold. Impossible. Why, it's worth five bucks. You must be the greatest shopper in New York. Gratified, she gave him a brilliant wink and took off his socks, chafing his feet. She brought him tea and poured a double shot of Chivas Regal into it. For him, 
she kept the best of everything. Veux-tu scrambled eggs, chéri coco? A tu faim? A cold rain was killing desolate New York with its green icy spikes. When I pass Northwest Airlines, I always mean to price a ticket to Tokyo. She put soy sauce on the eggs. Herzog ate and drank. All the food was salty. He swallowed a great deal of tea. We take bath, said Sono, and began to unbutton Moses' shirt. Tu veux? Teas and baths. The steam of boiling water loosened the wallpaper from the green plaster. The great console radio through a cloth of gold speaker provided music by Brahms from the city station. The cats were playing with shrimp shells. Oui, je veux bien, he said. She went to run the water, singing, and to sprinkle bath salts and bubble bath powder. I wonder who's scrubbing her now. All Sono wanted was that I should be there. She was undemanding. But some people are at war with the best things of life and pervert them into fantasies and dreams. But I was in the midst of an earnest effort, dreaming of some lofty mutual fulfillment with a woman who spoke my language instead of this Yiddish French of mine. Other men have roamed the world, forsaking Western civilization for such exotic pleasures as the gods delivered to me in New York City. The bath was not without its trials. At times she examined his body. If he had grown thinner, she accused him of infidelity. Love-making, she firmly believed, made men lose weight. Ah, tu as magri, tu fais amour. He denied it, but she shook her head, still smiling, but her face becoming puffy and bitter. He could never convince her, but she would forgive him at last and put him into the tub, climbing in behind him singing or growling mock orders at him in military Japanese. But peace had come. They bathed. She put her feet forward for him to soap. She dipped water in a plastic dish and poured it on his head. To rinse the suds, she turned on the shower and they stood together smiling under the spray. Tu seras bien propre, chérie Coco. Yes, she kept me very clean. Herzog, amused and sorrowful, recalled it all. They dried themselves with Turkish towels from 14th Street. She dressed him in the kimono, kissing his chest. He kissed the palms of her hands. Her eyes were not only shrewd and tender, they had a thrifty light. His way of kissing her, the look on his face, made her laugh. Was I so funny? And now, 
It must have been his foreign, gloomy clumsiness which she found endearing. They sat cross-legged on the bed and drank the spiked tea. The door was bolted, the telephone off the hook. Tremulous, Sono's face came near and she touched him with her chub lips. They helped each other out of the oriental garments. Doucement, chérie. Oh, lentement. Oh. Turning up her eyes so that he saw only the whites. Earth and the planets may have been sucked from the sun by a passing star, as if a dog should pass a bush and set free worlds where souls forevermore might meet. I knew very well that I kept her from returning to Japan. She disobeyed her father. Her mother died while she was gone and Sono did not mention it for two weeks. And once I stayed away for a month and she had had pneumonia. No one looked in on her. This time she cried when she saw me. She was too weak to help it. And the tears were a great surprise to me. A revelation. Her pale face was thinner, her lips pale, and the long hair hanging. But I was already involved with Juliana, evidently looking for something other than sensual bathtubs and hibiscus flowers from 14th Street. Idiot. Bug-eyed, bookish, low-serious idiot. Sonna knew who Juliana was. She had met the Pontritas socially. She wrinkled her nose at them. Ils ne sont pas bien. She warned him against Juliana. Elle est méchante, Mosso. Je suis pas jalouse. Je te plains. Tu m'as laissé, je fais amour avec d'autres. C'est pas de ma faute. Sono, t'avais raison. Nous sommes divorcés. Elle me flanquait à la porte. Cocu, fauché. J'ai vieilli beaucoup. J'ai été malade. Je suis tellement triste. No, he would spare Sono that. It would break her heart. No, he didn't want her to pity him. He had harmed her enough. No, he recalled her round, glossy legs, her smooth hair, her comical bric-a-brac, the odours of soy sauce and cat shit, the Japanese fish and the music of Brahms blaring from the cloth of gold speaker. He blessed her from afar. He tore up his words.